And the reading today is from John 14, verses, uh, sorry, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not yet let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I told the story about the garden because Jesus himself is more important than anything else. And our vision statement is transforming Sheffield, but that's not really our vision. It's more our calling and our mission. Our vision, our why, is Jesus, because he is more important than anything else. No one in the universe is more important than he is. No one is more controversial than Jesus. No one has inspired more love and unfortunately more hatred than Jesus. We love him for who he is because he's the son of God who died and gave himself for me. We do not start with mission strategies or projects or fundraising methods. We start with Jesus himself, who is our way, our truth, and our life. And when we have him, we have everything. And if we don't have him, then nothing we do is of any lasting value. If we forget that, if we forget that we have a garden that we can walk into any time we want to, then maybe we will burn out. Or maybe we will find that we can't handle failure or disappointment. Or perhaps we get weary and disillusioned and cynical and we lose the joy and the lightness of heart that goes with the kingdom of God. It is not disrespectful of the pain and suffering in the world to carry joy and lightness of heart. Jesus is controversial because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and because he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. That's controversial. People don't like it. People say, well, there's many spiritual paths. I can progress spiritually any way I want to. It's my choice. It's, you know, it's not up to anybody else. It's true. It is your choice. But if you want to come to the Father, then it's through Jesus. And he's our life. We don't mind that he's controversial. We don't mind that he offends people. We don't mind that people don't like the exclusivity of I am the way, the truth, 
the life, because it's true. If your heart is full of Jesus, you will want to see our city transformed. You'll want to. Because it's his dream, it's his passion that our city is transformed. It's his longing of his heart that his lost children across the city, across the country, across the world, for those of you involved in mission overseas, is his dream that his lost children are reached and brought home. So if your heart is full of him, you will want to make life better. You will want to make disciples. And when the twelve, the original ones in the gospel, were struggling, as well they might at the Last Supper, and their hearts were fearful and afraid because Jesus said, I'm going where you can't follow. Then he told them, Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's room for everybody in my father's house. And if you find yourself shrinking back when you're kind of faced with the demand of Jesus, or if you find that actually you've got other priorities... Remember that he is the way. That's what the first Christians called themselves. They called themselves the way. Originally, Christian was an insult. The first believers in Jesus, his first followers, called themselves the way because they wanted to pattern their way of doing life after Jesus. And, um, I mean, not the mechanics, not having to do an itinerant ministry in Galilee, not, not that bit of it, but, but the way he did life, the way he lived, the way he responded to people, the way he cared. His confidence in the Father to do only what he saw the Father doing. His absolute insistence that his way is the way of laying down power, laying down human power, not using power, not calling five legions of angels when he was arrested, laying down power, insisting that his way is to love your enemies, to forgive the people who hurt you, to not use power to get what you want. His desire to do just what he saw his father doing and not do what everybody else wanted him to do. The way he lived is our model. It's the rhythm of life. It's the everyday business. It's the what happens when you get up, what happens when you go to bed, you know, What happens on your way to work or your way home? What happens when you eat round the table? What shapes your life in the pattern of Jesus? You know, one of the things that we're going to be thinking about is 
as we redevelop is the shape of the new buildings because somebody said very rightly, um, first we form our buildings and then they form us, and that's true. But the pattern of your life forms you even more. Your everyday rhythm forms you. What you do when you get up, what you do before you go to bed, what spaces you put in your life, what your monthly rhythm is, what your yearly rhythm is, how, how you do what you do and what's in it, it forms you. How is your life patterned after the way of Jesus? Is there time to connect with God? Is there time for others? Is there time for rest? Is there time for thanksgiving? We're sharing our house with another family at the moment, and um, the, the, the mother of that family really challenges me. And one of the things she has is um, she's got this book, and I think she calls it a Eucharist or anything after the Greek word for Thanksgiving. And she's writing in it all the time. And, um, you know, she, you know what, are you, what are you putting down? You know, hoping it's not comments on me and Anne. And, and it's not. It's not. She writes down Thanksgiving all the time. All through the day, she just writes down things to thank Jesus for. Because she's walking in his way, she wants to form her life after his pattern. Does your pattern look like the pattern of someone who thinks that Jesus is more important than anyone or anything else? That's the way... But then comes the truth, because Jesus always speaks truth. And sometimes it cuts us to the heart, but it's out of love. He always speaks truth. We don't always want to hear it. C.S. Lewis, that great Christian writer, he said that um, humans can't stand very much reality. And And I think that's true. The truth is his word. Are you immersed in the Bible? Do you know your Bible? How much of the Bible is in your head, in your memory? Then the Bible is powerful. The words of the Bible are very, very powerful. And, And the word gives life, it cuts through everything. And if you are not rooted in the Bible, if you do not know your Bible, if your kind of life and your head doesn't run in the rhythms of the Bible, then you are like a hunter who's going hunting with no bullets in their gun, or a doctor who's going on a house call with no equipment or medicine in their bag. If, if you don't know your Bible, then you you're empty, you're you're ill-equipped when you go to serve and do mission. And then there's the life. And that's, that's where the power that Jesus laid down comes right back again. Because the life of Jesus carries the powers of the age to come. The power to heal the power to hear a word from heaven that just pierces through 
people's intransigence and resistance and stubbornness and gets right in to what they need to hear. His presence and his spirit, that's the garden. Are you welcoming his presence? Are you welcoming the Holy Spirit? The New Testament writers talk all the time about being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Welcome the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Understanding in your head, cognitive understanding, is not enough. It's not enough just to understand that the gospel is true. God has so much more for you than that. And it's not one of those three. It's all of them. So if you find yourself shrinking back or having other priorities or being afraid or anxious or just, you know, you don't think about Jesus all that much when you're not in church, take 30 days. That's my invitation take 30 days or you can do it maybe you know to the end of half term or something like that take 30 days and do something different pick one of those pick the way you bring to God the pattern of your life pick the truth do something to get into the word or pick the life and welcome the gifts and presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. But do something. Don't just agree. Agreement is fine. It just doesn't take you anywhere. Do something. Before you leave, do something. Decide that you will take an action, an action on one of these three things. And tell someone. That's so powerful if you tell someone, this is what I'm going to do. I've, you know, I've done business with the Holy Spirit and this is what I'm planning to do. And you know, you could really bless me and serve me if in say a week's time you came up to me and said, look Peter, um, you, you said you were going to do this and um, how, you know, how, have you, how have you done it? Have you managed to do it? And um, well, you can ask me, one of the things that, that I'm doing is um, God's, God's sort of encouraged me to write down a prayer that I'm going to pray every day that is about leading the church, but leading it knowing that God is in control and I don't have to be anxious. And um, my, my plan is every day in my prayer time, every day I will read that prayer out. I will say that prayer. I haven't actually told anyone. I haven't even told Anne that that's what I'm going to do. But I'm, I'm telling you now. And uh, it would be great from time to time if you ask me, Peter, are you remembering to do that? Are you remembering to pray that prayer? Because we know Jesus, we have the desire for his kingdom built into us. Now, we don't have to strain or strive. We have the desire for his kingdom built into us 
if we belong to him. We want to make life better. We want to make disciples. It's, you know, it's not something that I have to kind of stir you up and you're thinking, oh, do I really, you know, do I really have to make life better for people? Do I really have to make disciples? You have that desire already in you because you carry the imprint of the King of Kings and you're his daughter, you're his son. You carry the imprint of the King of Kings if you belong to Jesus. But just to encourage you and encourage me, and just so I know that you've got it, so that if anybody asks you, well, what's your church's mission? You know, what's its core? What's your church for? Would you say with me, make life better, make disciples? Make life better, make disciples. Can we do it again as if we mean it? (laughs) Make life better, make disciples. So if someone asks you, what's NCS about? What's King's Centre about? What's Philly about? It's make life better, make disciples. Because Jesus did it. It isn't our idea, it's what he did. If people were ill, if they were blind, if they couldn't walk, if they didn't have food, Jesus made life better by what he taught as well. Even if people would not respond, even if people totally didn't accept that he was the way, the truth, and the life, didn't make any difference, he loved and blessed them anyway. When Jesus healed 10 people with leprosy, only one of them believed he was anything. The other nine said, yeah, thanks, that's great, we're off now. Healed them anyway. They didn't lose their healing. Jesus loved people, all of whom turned on him outside Pilate's palace. You know, I think one of the saddest things about that story, when, when they kind of stirred up, the, the, the leaders stirred up the people to shout for Jesus' crucifixion, One of the saddest things about that story is how many people in that crowd had been healed by Jesus. How many people in that crowd had family who Jesus had healed. And yet there we all are. Making life better is a kingdom win. If someone runs their business really well, If someone works in the NHS and they do it really well so that the resources are used really well, that's a kingdom win. If food bank gives food to someone who would otherwise go hungry, if someone becomes debt-free, or if a young person goes back to school because someone on the Forge team believes in them. That is a win for the kingdom of God. Even if they don't think that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If they also choose to follow Jesus, it's gold, because that's the best we have to give them. But either way, it's a kingdom win Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He made life better for everybody. He also prioritized making disciples. 
And they go together because the way he trained them was primarily making life better. The way that Jesus discipled people was primarily making life better. You know, that thing that the church in the West often does, I've been guilty of it, of of getting Christians into group to support and take care of each other. Jesus wouldn't call that discipleship. He didn't do that with the 12. I mean, he did it, but part of a much bigger thing that was focused on making life better. Making life better was how Jesus did discipleship, which is a bit challenging when you understand it. And because Jesus did those two things, then that's what we do. And we do it in community. We do that because on the whole, people won't come to us. We need to go to them. That's the truth. We do it because people are hungry for community. Community is breaking down across every social strata. People are hungry for genuine community, for genuine friendship, for genuine acceptance and care. And because God called us as a body and he shares out different gifts and strengths, we haven't got it together, but together we've got it. I know it's a bit twee, but I like it. And because that's how Jesus and the early church did it, and because it's a lot more fun You know, going on your own is a pain. Go together. God God has told us many times that this church, this place where you and I are planted, is very fertile soil. He's told me that again and again through different people, different prophetic words, again and again and again. It keeps coming back. This church is very fertile soil. It's easy for the Holy Spirit to grow things in this soil. And that is not down to me. That is the grace of God, that this is very fertile soil. It's a bit like soil after a forest fire. This ground is fertile. It grows things very easily, you know, even if it looks different. And we had a great weekend last week with Gather to Go. Um, We took our traditional leaders weekend and we turned it into Gather to Go that everybody was invited to. We had a lot of people. How many people did we have, Josh? Yeah, we had 100 people coming. Um, And it it was amazing. Josh and the team did it really well. And... um, We were looking at how you can start just from where you are, in your own house, at your own job, with the making disciples and the making life better. It was very practical, and we got great feedback. Loads of people have come to me from from every age group and have said, you know, we're going to try this, or I'm going to try that. Or do you know what? I'm going to do this. And another thing that's happening with us is the growth of Forge and Restore. We, we are so blessed as a church to have those ministries for vulnerable and marginalised people and the kids on the estates who've got no one to care for them or tell them about Jesus. It's now 30% of our spending. Lots of it gets externally financed. 
And uh, if you're new to church, Restore is our social action ministry that's led by Jane Franklin. Um, It grew organically from lots of individual projects that amazing pioneers started in different places doing different things. And uh, it's kind of integrated now into a ministry with loads of different ways of helping people that signpost to each other. Because usually it's never just one intervention that turns it round for people. It's never just one thing. You know, it's never just food bank. You know, it's, it's the things together so that people at food bank can say, well, you know, did you know we have a drop-in cafe? Do you know we have a life skill course? Do you know, you know, do you know how to cook this food? You know, are you in debt? You know, and we'll signpost them as well, of course, to things that other people do. It's a great team culture. It's a great ministry. So over 70 of you volunteer for that. And then Forge, our youth ministry on the estates, which Sam Evans leads, that has a vision right across the city. You know, it does our in-house youth work, for which we are so grateful. But, but that's not most of it. It has a vision right across the city. We partner with schools, we partner with other churches. We're well regarded, both in the city and by our diocese, for those of you who are Anglicans. And it's growing. And uh, one, one exciting new area of development is schools partnership, which is coaching children at risk of, inc- of being excluded from school. Um, people go along and kind of sit with them. And, um, and help them so that they, they stick with school rather than dropping out. And we have just asked Sam to take overall leadership of the Youth and Social Action Ministry so that they can work better across the city and be more strategic. And we have a particular vision for using them for church planting, for gospel planting, to be a mission hub, if you could put the next slide up, So we we have a vision that's for the whole city and we especially care about the deprived bits because on the whole, no one else is doing that. And sending a team into an area with high urban deprivation is very high bar. You know, it's high bar for the people who go to stick at it. We've got some, there's the Shire, it's amazing, but it's high bar. And what we are planning is to use the youth and social action as a kind of mission hub because going there to plant the gospel, when you've got support from Restore, when you've got support from Forge, when there's already some youth stuff going on, you know, where there's already some compassion ministry going, that's quite a different thing. That's much more likely to be sustainable. That's much more likely to succeed. And we're really excited about it And the good news is our diocese is as well. It's looked at us and looked at what we do and it wants to partner with us. So next summer, they're going to give us a curate um, on their bill, not our bill, uh, which I'm absolutely delighted about because curates cost an arm and a leg. We're not going into that. And and it's not just going to be, oh, you know, come and learn how to, to do church here. It's with a view to planting in one of the areas of the city. And um, our our staff team was looking at a map of the city and we kind of just asking the Holy Spirit for for that 
kind of vision of it. And one of the ways of looking at um, the city is the seven hills. Some people say there are eight, but I think there's seven hills in Sheffield. And um, just about all of them, not Crooks or Crosspool, just about all of them are quite deprived areas. And there are three where we are active already. And we think that one of those is just right for gospel planting, for sending a team. So if it works out next summer, we hope we're going to have a leader who will take people there and we can see something grow. If your heart says yes, I mean, you, you might not be called to compassion ministry with the most vulnerable or to youth ministry with the teenagers. That's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. We're not just that. Everybody can do this. Work is just as important. Where you live is just as important. Who you are and what you're doing now, what God's called you to this minute is where you need to start. And if your heart says yes, and if for you, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if he's your way, your truth, and your life, and you are up for this call to make life better and to make disciples, then I would like us to kind of respond together as a corporate thing that we do and and kind of make our yes, we're up for this together. First of all, with your money, because anything, you know, even if the diocese pays for bits of it, takes money, and spending 30% of our turnover on compassion ministries is a huge stretch. It would be for any church. And that's on top of the 10% we give away. It's a huge stretch for us. It's, it's going to be. And a lot of you tithe, and some of you give very generously indeed. But I want to give you the chance to make a love offering this Sunday. And if your heart's moved to do that, then there's going to be a chance in a minute to come and do it. And I... I want you to, there's a bucket here, I want everybody who wants to commit their finances to God and basically say, God, yours, to come and touch the bucket. Whether you're going to put extra stuff in today or not, it doesn't matter. All of us who, who want to submit our finances to God, I want to, in, in a minute, invite you to come up to the bucket and touch it. And if you want to put money in for an offering, then, you know, that's even better. We love IOUs. We have a very, very able enforcement team. We love IOUs. Um, you know, don't, please don't think I've got no money with me. I can't be part of this. There's plenty of bits of paper. Um, you have permission to use any piece of paper in the church to write an IOU on. It's, it's all fine. So I, I would love you to do that. I'd love to take an offering this morning for that. Um, but not just that. We're also going to do some, something kind of active and creative that the children can join in with. And I'm not sure I understand exactly how it's going to work. So would you like to come and say? We are going to do it in a minute, but I'd still like you to explain it now.
Thank you, Giles. Anybody got a hand? A hand. Can we have a thumbometer, please, of how much we're up for this vision? So you've all got a thumb. I'm going to be more. I'm happy. going for that vision. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, that's good. The vision is Jesus. Thumbs up to that. Right. He's going to work on our identity. That's your second finger. The other three fingers, you've got three fingers left. Okay. One is going to be thinking about the way. One is going to be thinking about the truth. And one is going to be about thinking about the life and our commitment towards that. Okay? More for that when, when the kids come in. But we're going to come out. We're going to place our gift in, in the offering basket. We're going to then get, uh, we're going to have two of the um, kids' team are going to kindly cover your hand in washable paint. With a capital W for washable paint. And you are going to, if you have children, you are going to help them do that in an orderly and non-paint-staining manner. And then you're going to place that handprint up onto this um, banner. There are two of those, okay? Not because we're going to transform Sheffield twice, but because we're going to take these away. One is going to remain here. One is going to go over to King Center as a reminder of our commitment to each other to live out that vision. And once you've placed your hand on, on the, uh, the banner, we, um, later we will strip off the negative lettering to reveal the positive Sheffield transformed, but with uh, the work of our hands and others. Okay? So two things of, of vital importance is one, where it's a bit floppy, give it a good sticking on with your hand. Two, make sure that you cover the wooden areas here, okay? These bits as well, but make sure you cover the wooden areas, otherwise it will look like very funny lettering, okay? I'm sure we'll finish the job off at the end if we don't quite get it. But the importance is responding to what Jesus is and what he does. Thank you. Thank you, Giles. I hope that's clear. Um, we're going we're to stand and worship now um, before we do that. And um, I, I'd like to, you to come back to the way, the truth, and the life, and how you want to respond to that, and just bring that to God in this next song that we're going to sing.